Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today, we have with us a Amazon celebrity, founder and CEO of the Marketplace Blueprint. He's also the owner of Best from the Nest. And he's here with us today, Robin Johnson. Robin, how are you? Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I always love getting to share. So thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure having you here, Robin. There's something that is funny that we've been together in the SEM rush, cell zone family. We're in the lifetime VIP circle. <laughs> and we actually never spoke in person. So this, uh, this oh, in, in the previous few minutes before the interview, um, it was the first time we actually are speaking in person, but uh, we've been seeing it. I've been seeing you around forever. So um, yeah, that's it. Um, you, uh, you're also a professor at the SM Rush Academy, as noticed that. Yes, yes, yes. We did a couple courses with them and it was lots of fun. Um, you know, it was during COVID. So I we filmed it here instead of over there, but it was mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun to film. And um, those are available. You can just sign up on SCM Rush and they're available under the courses section. Cool. And uh if I'm not mistaken, it's free. It is free. Yes. So those are completely free and you get like a little certification. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're also looking for additional certifications, you know, the Amazon Learning Console great place to get certified in Amazon ads too. So nice. Yeah. I like, I like when people say I'm, I'm here to help and uh, I just want to help out. And then when it comes time to, to teach somebody something that they present the bill, but you actually have it there out there and it is free. So <laughs> that, that proves that you actually are trying to actually offer content. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Uh, Robin, I also heard you started with $100 on Amazon. Is that right? Can you tell us the story? Yeah. So before this, you know, I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I was always entrepreneurial. I had a lemonade stand. I had no lemonade stands. Like, you know, they'd send you home with like the, the fundraiser as a kid, you know, to sell wrapping paper, whatever. I never, if anything, I got in trouble for eating the chocolate bars one time. Um, but I was not entrepreneurial. In fact, before this, I was a youth minister, which is a probably the least capitalistic profession that you can have. Um, and my, you know, my kids got, my son got sick and I, you know, I had this moment where I was like, how do I keep this kid alive? And not lose the house. And we just felt like we were always going to be scared financially. We took a hundred dollars. I can still remember the five twenties in my hand. It felt like a million dollars at the time. And uh, we started buying things at garage sale. My son's first sight, well, sight word was garage. Cause he was like three at the time. And I had like a, like a, an infant that I was carrying around too. So, I mean, it, it was not the ideal time to start a business, but we did it. Um, I was still working at the church um, and we went from selling things on Craigslist to eBay to Amazon. And we built that to a million dollar business in about three years. And that was about almost 12 years ago. So, I mean, it was when getting to a million in Amazon was just not as yeah is, you know, we, there, there wasn't the, we, the people didn't really even talk about ads. I remember we first started running ads like seven years ago, like talking to somebody and be like 3% ACOS is ridiculously high. You should not be paying that much. And I thought about the other day and I was like, man, I would slit somebody's throat. For, no, I wouldn't really FBI don't come get me, but like, I would love to get a 3% ACOS on things. We have a couple of products at like six or eight, but I mean, like that's, that's like not the, not, not the high end by any means. So uh, you know what, Robin, I remember launching a product 
without external campaign, without Amazon PPC. So I launched yep. launching, launching the product and uh, waking up the next morning while Amazon received it into FBA and had like one or two sales of something that I didn't really launch. It was just placed there. And meanwhile, they received the inventory faster than I thought. And, you know, and, and nowadays it's just impossible. Like, for example, those those $100 that you started with, do you think somebody with 10000 today would have the same chances? They would, but they would need to be patient and they would need to be have a little hustle. So, you know, the way mm-hmm. that, because people say, oh, well, you know, that there's something else that happened. Yes, there, I hustled and I did a lot of things a lot of people wouldn't do, you know, crawling around. You know, we, we did RA, we did wholesale. And then about five or six years ago, we started our agency. And that was really difficult, um, much more difficult than I thought. And so you can start with 10,000. That's not a problem. If you're doing private label, um, you know, I would recommend that if that's your only 10,000, so this is, it's like this or nothing that you do something else to kind of get some experience selling online to just make sure you understand the basics of marketing. Uh, digital marketing is very different. So even if you have been good at marketing things in stores, digital marketing is a completely different beast. And so even if you can have just some experience or even, you know, get a job as a VA working for somebody so you can learn the ropes uh, and so you can, and then take some courses, but, you know, you need to start with some small trial things so that you can get an idea. Um, not every private label is going to launch successfully, even if you are, you know, the guru of all gurus. I don't know any anybody in my circle that is a successful private labor, uh, label seller who will tell you after five or six years that everything that they product they launch is successful. There's always some things that don't launch. So if you're only 10,000, I would invest it in learning and getting some practical advice with maybe two or 3,000 and saving and build up some more. So then you have like maybe 15 or 20 for your launch. Nice. And uh, you actually hit on something that uh, that is true to me when, a seller that uh, started selling on Amazon, they did their launch and it didn't go as planned. He actually, because a lot of people have a big ego and don't want to ask for help. That is a big problem. But this person actually messaged me through Facebook and asked, can I be a VA for you and learn so I can, he said, you don't even have to pay me. So of course I do, but he is now working for me just so he can see it gain more experience because he hadn't done it before. Right. Um, and I, I applaud that, right. Because if you can learn somewhere and uh, being in it for free or getting paid even on top, it's going to benefit you and anything that's learning is should be welcomed by every seller. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's not as easy as some people make it sounds and running an Amazon business is hard. If you're looking for laptop lifestyle, uh, you know, everybody that I, so when I hang out with really successful sellers, when we're in the Bahamas or whatever, doing things, all of us spend the first couple hours working in the morning, or we spend a couple hours before we work at night. None of us is doing, you know, like two hours a day on a regular basis. And you know, I did when I was sick, you can for a period of time, but you know, like it's, it, it does take some, it's going to take consistent work over time. And in the beginning, it's going to take a lot of work. Uh, I actually wrote an article for Zone about why my listing isn't selling. Um, and, you know, it usually will come down first to product selection, uh, but then it can also look at the, perhaps the way that you launched or the way that you understood Amazon ads wasn't correct. So sometimes some really fundamental things can make a difference in your next launch. Absolutely. And, and, and the important thing too is when you're in the Bahamas, 
the screenshots that you guys see when somebody's next to the pool sipping on a coconut drink and they have the laptop next to them, more than likely that picture was just it. It was just a picture <laughs> because the work is not done by the pool because the Wi-Fi is weak. The, the, the real work is done back in the room when, when we're by ourselves. Yeah. Well, I think it's like work hard, play hard. So like I can take, I can take. So last year I went to the Bahamas for like, five days, San Francisco with my kids for the four days. We went to Orlando, I think for a week, we swam with the manatees. We did Yellowstone for two weeks. Mm. And then we did the Grand Canyon, which is pretty close. That was just a two day thing. Uh, you know, I, we had like a lifetime of vacations in a year. And because we were able to work, it just means if we were to take pure vacations, you know, I don't know if we could take, go to that many trips. Um, so I want to get as much work as I can in the morning done. And then I want to put my computer away and just really be present with my kids because, you only have a finite number of years. I read something that's like, by the time your kids turn 18, you've spent 90% of the time you'll ever spend with them. So I want to make sure that I spend as much time as I can with my kids because I can't get this time back. And I'm, I'm clear on that. And same with my parents. I want to spend as much time with my parents as I can. So we, we've got a bunch of vacations where we're going to do like, you know, lazy beach days and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I definitely enjoy the times with the kids. And, and it's a scary thought that by the time they, they reach 18, 90% of our time together is done. Uh, that That is scary. Uh, so, and the fact that we got COVID back in 2020 didn't help the, the getting together with family and friends and living. So hopefully that's all behind us now and everybody can enjoy. So tell me, you also started Marketplace Blueprint. How did this get started? Was it just you? Do you have partners or how did it go? So me and my husband have always been yin and yang. In fact, we joke that he gets one word for every 38 that I get, because you can tell I talk a lot. Um, and he's kind of the strong, silent type. Um, but he's really good at analytics and reporting and ads. And so he started working on ads, you know, probably eight years ago, uh, you know, and was really focused on trying to, we had some wholesale items that were really niche. And so we did some advertising for those products. That's how we learned the advertising piece. We're actually now we're part of Amazon's advertising, Amazon's partner network for advertisers. So uh, we're an official partner there. Um, and, you know, really started with, we saw what a big problem wholesale uh, in Amazon was for brand owners, both, you know, companies that are like more traditional marketing and also yeah. those that are selling on Amazon. Um, and so now we have a range of clients from small, we have a lot of shark tank companies, um, we've worked with publicly traded companies, um, kind of in all pieces of the launch. And we have some companies that are not digitally native. So they've only sold in brick and mortar before this. Uh, and we have some that were, you know, always that started on Amazon and are looking to continue to grow. So uh, I love what I get to do because if we do our job well, that means more people get jobs, you know, that that creator of that product gets more vacation time with their kids. So um, I know what I do makes a difference and it's all my favorite parts of an Amazon business. So I don't have to deal with the logistics and the warehouse and the box tape, no more paper cuts from cardboard because those stink. So, uh, you know, I love it. You know, uh, thanks for that. Cause I, I love that. And I looked at your site marketplace blueprint and there was something else that I love. There's something that I personally do. And it was like uh, one of those tricks that I I learned a few years ago, and I love doing it every chance I get. And it's having like those Wikipedia Wikipedia style links to your own content on your site, 
where you can hyperlink a certain keyword and then direct it to your own page. And I saw that you are using those too. So you you definitely you definitely know some SEO that in, in, is are external to Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah. So I started learning a little bit about SEO. We did it when we were working with that really niche brand. Um, it was in a very like sub niche of the education market. And so I actually created, you know, it's kind of annoying. The YouTubes that I created for that little web, like e-commerce site have more web, more, more hit web hits than some of my Amazon content. But, um, you know, we created videos, we had a little e-commerce site, but at the time it was just, you know, it was a little more than I was really, so we started learning SEO there. Uh, I've had the pleasure of being friends with some of the best SEO folks in the industry, some of the best paid search people on the Google and Facebook side in the industry. So every time I get to go to dinner with them, I learn something new. Uh, and sometimes it really does help me. I, you know, I think that, uh, it's easy to get caught up in the Amazon ecosystem by itself, but mm -hmm. Amazon is following a lot of the evolutionary steps that Google took. So, you know, and because I've been around in the SEO space, kind of watching and now being a part of that community for a while, I can start to anticipate, okay, so this is where we are in the evolution. So this is where the blue ocean is going to be next. And this, this tactic, while it definitely works today, it's got a shelf life. So do I want to invest resources in that or something that's more long-term? So uh, it, I think that learning, how, you know, how digital marketing works as a whole and how you can work them in tandem can make a big difference in the way that you view the launches that you have on Amazon. And when you're in competitive niches, you could really look at that and say, all right, is, is Amazon the right place? Um, you know, even, if, even for international, is Amazon the right place or do we need to go to, you know, DTC or, you know, is it something like, you know, maybe I want to get into Mexico. Do I need to look at Mercado Libre? Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, looking at, it gives you more doors to make sure you're always getting the best, the cream of the crop of the opportunities um, by kind of keeping your eyes always on that horizon. I love that. So if, if somebody gave you a terrible listing on Amazon, okay, there's this terrible listing. The images are terrible. The title sucks and doesn't have reviews either. And you had the power to change, I say the power, because two of those things, you can change them, the, the images and the title, the reviews, you would need a special power to generate a thousand of them. But if you had the power, what would be, and you can only change one, is it the main image, the title, the reviews, bullet points or a description? I mean, I know that this is kind of like a marketing scapegoat, but it really does depend. Mm -hmm. um, if the brand has a lot of affinity, then, so like if I'm working with a brand that has a lot of search volume, then I'm not going to worry about the title as much mm -hmm. because they're tight. They're, they're most, like when we think about titles and click-through rate, we want to think about exact match or, you know, and like looking at how customers are going to clickety click type that into the search bar and try to mimic that. So Amazon says, okay, this is relevant during that audition period. It really gives you some conversion. So Amazon continues to drive that organic sales. So if somebody has a lot of brand affinity, so let's say I'm I, Lego comes to me and they have bad images and a bad title, then, you know, honestly for Lego, it doesn't really matter if their images or uh, title is bad. In fact, it probably doesn't even matter if, matter if their reviews are bad. So what I would probably start with was looking at the reviews and identifying what is causing the negative reviews. So if we see that, you know, people thought that it included, uh, you know, it thought they thought it included both the TIE fighter and um, the Millennium Falcon, because those images were on the box, then we really need to, then I would say, okay, then we really need to clarify that 
in the images. We need to have some call outs to say this is included, this is not included. Or, uh, you know, and if it's, they're saying, well, you know, the pieces don't fit well together, then it doesn't matter what I'm going to do with that listing. Ultimately, it's going to get shut down because of negative customer experiences. So, you know, before I made that decision of what to look at, I would look at brand affinity. I would look at um, what they're already indexing for. So if something has a lot of reviews and it's already indexing for a lot of things and, you know, their ad click-through rate is decent, then I'm going to probably focus on either something issue with the reviews or the images. Um, I think that was a long answer for what you oh, asked. And you know what? It was a perfect answer because majority of people don't like the answer. It depends. Yes. I'm the opposite because each case is a different case. Only analytics tell the true story. So when you are asked something and you say, it depends, I really like that because I know there's thought put into it that's out of the box. Because, I mean, uh, when you mentioned brand affinity, I know that to be true for a fact. I have a client that when they started with us, their title had 28 characters. They were selling 7 million with 28 characters, okay? So, uh, let me see. One, two, four, five. Five of those or six of those characters were the 20 milligram in between brackets, right? So it's the, the size of the package. Uh, and, and of course, this was a brand that was doing 7 million. And all of this was brand affinity. It's not because the listing is optimized. The listing sucked. Mm-hmm. But they were getting the sales because they were the brand that they were. And uh, uh, so that's a different case. If nobody knew them, I know that nobody would find them if you don't have um, keywords in the title, if the, if you have a 28-character title and nobody knows you, nobody will know you because you're not going to show up anywhere. But So I did love that answer. So thank you. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, it goes to one of the things that I somebody came up, I was at Prosper, and somebody's like, you know, I noticed that you say things that are opposite of what this other person says. So which one's right? And I was like, in my head, I was like, well, obviously I think I'm right. Or I would say, yes, but uh, there's a, I think it, and so I kind of thought about it for a day, like, okay, well, this person who I know knows what they're doing and I know they're getting results said this, I say the opposite and I have results that show the the opposite. Then I thought about what we're launching and one person's doing private label brands. um, And I'm doing more like things that are in Costco, Target, Walmart, Home Depot already. Uh, Many, most of our products that we carry now have national distribution of brick and and mortar retail, Uh, or they've been on Shark Tank, um, you know, for, you know, they were on Shark Tank a couple of years ago, so they have a lot of brand affinity. So the tactics for not only the listing creation, but also for the advertising are very different if you are launching a traditional brand versus a, you know, Amazon native brand. Um, and not that one's better than the other. Um, we actually have a, a brand that's coming new to market, uh, put together by some, some of the smartest people in the room. And we're doing um, kind of this backwards funnel where we're starting with Amazon uh, and then working towards brick and mortar, which is the opposite direction you normally go. Um, but uh, because of you know some strategic things that we've decided as a team um, that we're working with with a couple different agencies on this project, then you know that's really where we're kind of we've gotten to that that half point. Now, when it comes to bigger brands that have brick and mortar brands that are at Costco, one of the problems that I found with brands like that is wholesalers go to Costco, they buy your twelve pack, mm-hmm. they break it into single units, and they start selling on Amazon. 
And of course, if you are selling on Amazon direct to consumer, they take your buy box, right? Or at least fight for it. Brand, uh, brand gating is not possible for everybody. Uh, how do you kick those? Because a lot of people don't care. We have uh, distributors where they try to enforce our MAP pricing, but the seller doesn't have to, right? Uh, how do you deal with that? Well, we, we do. I want to talk about how we deal with that, but I also want to talk about the other thing that uh, for brands that are private label that are looking at brick and mortar, one thing you really need to consider is once your item is on Walmart, on Target, on Home Depot or Lowe's, and Lowe's is the worst, uh, love you Lowe's. I like buy a lot from you, but man, I don't love it when our clients are with you uh, because they will undercut the price and yes. then you'll get a buy box suppression. Uh, you'll get a brand health alert. If you get a brand health alert, that means Amazon says somewhere on the web, we're not going to tell you where, but yes. somewhere on the web, we found this little lower price. So we're going to pressure buy box. And that actually has the biggest impact on our uh, ability to run ads. And it's the biggest issue. As far as the resellers, there's a number of ways that you can control that. One of the things that we're really clear with with brands that if somebody bought in good faith before you had a map agreement, or if somebody bought from a retail store and they have authentic goods, then you know they have the right on Amazon the way the terms are serviced to, to list those products. So we're not going to do anything sneaky to get them off. However, what we will do is we can say, one, do we want to look at an Amazon exclusive for these products? Uh, or can we take the existing SKU with all the reviews on it and no longer make that available to Home Depot and Lowe's. Give them a new UPC with new yes. sizing that puts them into the next size tier. So, you know, that 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 packaging that's bigger is great for stores because of perceived value. Uh, if, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're getting started in products and you haven't looked into like the effect of perceived value and packaging, oh my goodness, it's like life-changing. So you definitely want to look into that for your products. Um, we want So we would put some, some bigger packaging that would put them over into the next size tier, which makes it unprofitable. Uh, we can also squeeze them out by raising the distributor prices, but there's some companies that, you know, say that's just not an option because of, you know, we've already got contracts for this season. Um, you know, our distributors are so much of our total um, revenue that we can't mess with that. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, sometimes what we say is, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to look at, we're going to pick a tool. We're going to look at, you know, sales now versus sales then. And we're going to say that at some point you got the sale of this product at some point, we're going to closely monitor for counterfeits. And, you know, some of the brands that we have, we don't even do any advertising for. We're just making sure the listings stay correct, that they match the brand experience um, and that nobody's using their trademark without permission. So, you know, sometimes it comes down to policing. And then sometimes we say, you know, I don't know if they did get that authentically because that, you know, we we can't figure out where they came from. Mm -hmm. There are ways to, you know, try to identify and make sure that verify that the item is authentic. Of course, test buys are a part of that, um, which is why sometimes I have a lot of stuff that I'm like, what am I going to do with this? Because <laughs> we going to do a bunch of test buys for clients, um, you know, but a good agency should be able to do those test buys for you. They might charge back the, the cost of the product, um, but, you know, and or you can do them yourself and um, verify authenticity. If you are a store that has that issue, then contracting with a really good IP attorney that really understands Amazon, I think is really crucial um, because you're going to need to attack it primarily from outside Amazon. So if you find out people are purchasing wholesale after you have a map agreement, Amazon won't enforce that, but you can enforce the contract you had with the seller outside of Amazon. So um, you know, if somebody's breaking their word to you, that's different than I'm just upset that they're on the listing. True. Uh, we, we've tried many of those as well. And now we have something that, it's, although still flawed, uh, does give us some better insight of who the seller is. 
And it's when a new seller jumps on the listing, like option number one was, of course, generate a new UPC and then that UPC would be exclusive to Costco, for example, or the Amazon listing have an exclusive uh, UPC. And in some of them that that doesn't happen, what we do is every time a brand new seller jumps in, we see how much inventory they have. And let's say the seller, ABC, wholesale, whatever, has 80 units. So we go to the distributor and see how many units they bought. If they bought 80, we know they're exclusively selling on Amazon, so we block them. Of course, first send them a nice message and ask them to just, you can sell on Amazon, just increase your price to the, the map pricing. And if they don't, and it often happens, we tell the distributor to block them because they're just selling on Amazon where we're selling anyway. But if it's, I mean, there's distributors uh, that can buy, you know, if they buy, for example, 200 units and they have 16 of them listed on Amazon, you don't want to block that seller because they're selling elsewhere that more than likely you're not. So. Uh, it's... And that can be the big issue. You know, we have a brand right now that has somebody that's reselling on their listings and we really looked at it and the potential loss of losing that person who has their own DTC store mm-hmm. that sells on multiple marketplaces that they're not on. It was too big of a risk for this, you know, for this company to uh, really attack and their distributor is, you know, large enough that they don't deal with any policing of this. So, you know, it, it you have to get creative. There's there's usually a way to solve it. You but you need to be talking with the people that are really the stakeholders in this to determine what's most important to them. Is it the analytics that they need? Is it, you know, they need to see direct revenue or is it, you know, we're just looking at overall top line growth and, you know, cuz sometimes we can hit those top line growth. Uh, um, bars, even with the resellers because there are some ad types you can still run even when you're not in the buy box. So there's a question that I never asked anybody, and I was just thinking about it, and it's one of those that you consider it so straightforward that sometimes uh, you just assume everybody does it the same way, and it's the back-end keywords. What do you throw in there? Is it, I'll tell you, for example, what I throw in there is sometimes Spanish characters or Spanish words, I mean, um, and some keywords that I don't want people to see in the front end. Like I'm just kind of hiding them. I want to rank for them, but I'm hiding in there and I don't repeat any. So do you use the same process or what do you throw in there? So we do a similar process. Um, We also are going to add keywords where uh, maybe they are relevant and they're important to index for because they're part of important keyword phrases we want to ultimately rank for, but they don't make sense without stuffing the keywords. Mm. So I know there's a lot of disagreement around this. And I think that if you're in the private label, like if you're, if you're still doing garlic presses or some kind of product where you're using an existing mold and you're, you know, so your, your product isn't materially different. And so you're competing on very, you know, small, you know, you're competing in highly competitive niches with a lot of products that are very similar, then I think that this advice would be, would be different. Um, but for the products that we're working with, you know, we're looking at, you know, sometimes we, we try not to keyword stack uh, because, you know, one Amazon has said it's not helpful. Now, of course, you can see lift. And, you know, when you match match types, sometimes that can provide some lift. But usually with our brands, because we have that brand affinity at the top of the listing, we, you know, we're able to get relevancy and conversions very quickly. So that's not as important for us. So we will put keywords that maybe we wanted to include, but it didn't naturally flow. Um, um, we look at like the bullets as balancing two equally important roles. One title and bullets are to help with uh, 
maximizing the number of doors that our customers might find us through. So there, you know, there are different ways for people to come through, um, but they're also what the salesperson. So they're also, they also have a big role in conversion. So we're always balancing those. And sometimes when we're balancing that, there's words that get left out. So, you know, like you said, Spanish characters, uh, uh, in, uh, maybe uh, use types that are not something we want to promote for one reason or another. It could be liability, could be perception, uh, could be a different marketing demographic. Um, and then, you know, then any keywords that just didn't fit. And if you're looking at, you know, you have a significant volume that's coming from an alternate use, don't be afraid to spin off a different brand or a different product type, specifically looking at marketing that specific um, to that different demographic. Because uh, when you have title and keywords that are really keyed into your customer avatar, your conversion rate will go up uh, and you might be able to target the advertising a lot more effectively. Whereas if you have this alternate use and you're driving a lot of ads to a page that's not showing that it's for that, does it match that? You might, you might be missing out on really great keywords that could perform for you if you had them split out. Nice. Now, You've been you've been around selling online for a while, like me. So uh, I see that we do a lot of things similar. Do you uh, since with Google SEO, for example, images? It's important um, that we name those images with a keyword and use alt uh, alt tags and stuff. So on Amazon, you can't use alt. But do you still name your images with keywords, or do you let them be like? One two three four dot jpeg. So I be- don't. At one point, we looked. We did some research, and it looked like Amazon was renaming the files when they compressed them. Um, and so, you know, that could have changed. Um, and again, if you're a private label, I think it doesn't hurt to do that just in case something changes in the way that they do things exactly. anyway. Uh, for our brands, we usually are going, to, we have a nomenclature that we use with images. So some of our clients have 8,000 products. So to put the keywords in each image and keep them all straight would be a very difficult task. And we'd have to charge more to our clients to do that, but they wouldn't get a good return on that increased retainer. So, you know, we really kind of focus on using the nomenclature we have to keep things straight uh, and to make sure that our flat files are always ready to go. You know, it's very easy for them to be proofed before they're uploaded, uh, you know, so that we can fix anything that goes wrong. So, you know, you have to balance, uh, you know, as as, as your product, when you're smaller, there's some things that make more sense to test and try uh, than it does when you're larger. So what would you say is like the low-hanging fruit for somebody to optimize their presence on Amazon, right? Not just on the listing, but their their general presence on Amazon. Hmm. I mean, really, I think the thing that people miss the most is it doesn't, if you have an ugly baby, nobody wants your baby. It doesn't matter how much you optimize. Nobody wants your baby. So take your baby, go home. You know, um, if you have a product that's oversaturated, doesn't bring some value to the market, then it doesn't matter how much you optimize. You will get incremental sales, but it's going to be very difficult for you to have a long-standing number one product. Um, just because as soon as you relax, as soon as you take your foot on the gas, somebody else is going to come yeah. roaring in. Um, so I think pro- the lowest hanging fruit is is doing product selection in a way that is slightly different in that it really looks at how can you build a better mousetrap? How can you do market research to generate, make sure that there is demand for this product, that there's search volume for your primary keywords? Honestly, that's the thing that when I, when private label 
sellers come to me and they say, I, I haven't been able to launch successfully. Usually it's, you know, well, you know, supplements are difficult with a $1,000 a month ad budget, they're impossible, you know? So, you know, I think that it's really product, product selection is the first, is the best way for you to make sure that you're getting the best presence on Amazon. Um, And then I would probably go with um, images that match your brand experience on your DTC site. If you have one, Um, it really helps create a lot of level of authority. So those images that happen in the the, the carousel and in the A plus should really bring some A game because that's going to help establish that you have authority that, you know, that your product is quality. Um, and I know that you asked for one, but I'm also going to say packaging um, because packaging makes a difference in the way that people receive your product and the, the how much value they get. So, um, you know, I, I just got these, somebody sent me these cookies they're gluten-free. I don't know who, if you sent me these gluten-free cookies, please tell me who, so I can thank you. Um, but I got these cookies and it was six cookies. And then, you know, being the, the creeper that I am, I wanted to see how much these six cookies are because they came in a box. It was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't corrugated. It was like the nice shiny thing. It had a, like a, a rope pulled to, to open it. And then you slid out the cookies and there were six compartments and each cookie was, was seal wrapped, not like shrink wrapped, but like sealed wrapped in a package each for each six of them. And they're selling these six cookies for like 60 bucks. And if I had just gotten six cookies in a, in a little bag, I would have been like, this is not worth 60 bucks, but it felt like it was worth mm. 60 bucks because they spent probably what, $5 more on packaging. So if you're in a competitive niche and you're trying to create a luxury brand, you can't create a luxury brand without luxury packaging. So, you know, get, you know, do some testing, do some pick foo on stuff like that. Get a focus group if you have the money um, to find out what your customers really value. If you're looking for a budget brand where, uh, you know, you're looking for the people who are like me that are like to be cheap, then the packaging might not be as important. Um, but, it, you know, you do, especially if you're trying to reach a luxury market, having luxury packaging is uh, something that was a strong differentiator. I agree 100%. Uh, sometimes people ask me, like, why isn't the product working? In? And I say, well, one of the best things to have is a unique product. If it's mm-hmm. unique, you don't have competitors. And they say, well, my product is not unique and there's no way to make it unique. Then make your packaging unique. If your packaging is unique, you know, you can or their marketing it. unique, exactly. you know, Throw it in there, make a picture, put pictures of your packaging. Because uh, if you can have that perception of perception of quality, uh, we all uh, or a majority of people have bought an Apple phone before. And when you unpackage that thing, you, you know, it it looks sturdy, it looks good. And, and it's an experience opening it, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, you know that you're going to have that experience. And so, if, especially if you're a DTC brand that has things that you've been doing from the beginning, like maybe you've been using colored tissue paper and a thank you note, by incorporating some of those things into your, your packaging um, that you're using, you can maintain that experience even on Amazon, even with FBA. So, you know, be, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there that's being missed. And, um, you know, if your product if you're selling essential oils for $45 a bottle and somebody else is selling eight, if they're just bottles, on the image that just show the same thing, how is a customer going to know that yours are sourced from 
Costa Rican monkey poop and so that they're better. You know, like you're, you're not going to be able to communicate that in the primary image. But if you have a luxurious box in there that's included, it makes it more giftable. So it takes it from something I'm getting you to a gift. Um, and especially like in kitchen gadgets and toys, you know, there's a re- go look at the packaging that they have for Barbies, especially when you get like the five pack of Barbies. They're so flipping big. You know, they're like they fill up the whole cart because they're charging you $70 for, you know, five little dolls is big, you know, that cost them what, you know, a couple bucks to make. So the, the, the perceived value is a thing or big brands like Mattel and Hasbro wouldn't be doing them. And, and, you know, what you also mentioned making the marketing unique and there's a funny story of a, a competitor from uh, one of my client's competitors who launched a skincare uh, brand and they are one of the top skincare brands now on Amazon by number of sales, by number of reviews and everything. And they do not have packaging. They don't have packaging. And of course, we have done product testing where we go and you buy the competitor's products to see what kind of emails you're going to receive from them and all that stuff. And we received it. And it explains, and that's their marketing plot, is we don't have packaging on purpose. So we can pass those savings to you. We're trying to save the planet. And at the same time, we're saving you money by giving you a product with doesn't have packaging. And of course, that is working for them. And at the same time, they don't have to spend money on packaging. So it's like a genius move where they became unique by not having packaging. It's incredible. It blows my mind, but it's definitely working. They're like one of the top skincares on Amazon. Psychography is a really important part of marketing. And that's, you know, people know about demo, uh, demographics uh, and, you know, they, so, you know, I, I'm looking for people this age, this income class and those kinds of things. It tells you the stats about a person. The When you're looking at psychographics, what you're really looking at is the internal motivation. So what do they value? So like if you're selling a Ford truck in Texas in a dealership, maybe you don't want Nancy Pelosi standing in front of that truck because it's not going to go well for you. If you're trying to sell a Prius in Seattle, maybe don't have Donald Trump in the front. Not that one is better than the other anyway. We all have our value judgments there, but because it doesn't speak to the thing. So same is true for these packaging. You know, they're speaking to somebody who's saying, I want money. I, I mean, I care about the environment. That sounds like the primary thing is saving money. Um, but this also goes, if you have an organic, 100% recycled, good earth-friendly product, and you put it in a plastic bag, there are a segment of your audience that will not buy it because it's in a plastic bag, or they will be frustrated. Uh, you know, I'm fairly eco-conscious and my favorite drink, I don't drink as much because it comes in a plastic bottle. And I just wish there was any other option for me besides this plastic bottle. So they're losing out on income for me. Now they might decide that that demographic is a small enough portion. It doesn't impact their sales, but you want to be thinking if you're, you have an eco-friendly brand, if you have a budget brand, you know, this goes not to the, just the packaging, but also the, the words that you use in the listing, the types of Im- uh, images that you're using, what is important to your target customer and how can you help them fulfill on those inner desires that they have? I love that you need to know who you're selling to if because you don't know how to market if you don't know who you're selling to. And that Ford example that was, I was here laughing because that is it's so true, but it's like shock value, but at the same time it's so true because why would you, right? If, if there's something, if somebody that's super ecological that just wants to buy a Tesla, not because they like the car, but because they want to save the planet, that person is not going to buy that seven liter V8 for those same reasons. So uh, that's fantastic. 
so Robin, tell me, do you you do exclusive? You're exclusively now working with your marketplace blueprint, or do you still have your own brands on Amazon? We still have um, we still have some that we sell direct ourselves. Um, you know, they're primarily wholesale accounts that we've had forever. They took care of us when we were growing, so we still stick mm -hmm. with them. Um, you know, for some one reason or other, they didn't want to move to an agency model. For the, for the most part, all of our new business energy is going into the agency. It's uh, it, we. I have never been prouder of the team that I work with. I have some of the best people. Uh, in, uh, you know, like I'm just so honored that they chose to be part of our team. I love. We have fun. We joke about Star Wars, and you know, mm -hmm. like it, it, we. I really love the community that we're in the family that we're building as a team, and so I want to help expand that family and, and help expand the number of brands that we can help. And last question in 2021, how many times were you approached by aggregators <laughs> to buy your brands? I was approached several times. I'm not quite ready to sell at this <laughs> point. Um, I mean, I think that if you're, you know, if you're if you're a private labeler and you want to sell, you should probably do that. Like, you should take that call because <laughs> okay. the market's pretty inflated right now. Um, but I really do see a future for us in this, and so it, it's hard to hard to the idea this is still like my little baby and I love it. So um it, we're not quite ready. But there there's so many aggregators at Prosper. It felt like half the half the exhibit hall was was aggregators. Yeah. Half half aggregators, 30% are the freight forwarders. And yes. <laughs> couple tools. <laughs> yeah, a couple tools and then the rest is people trying to have fun. So Robin, for for people that have heard about you and the ones that haven't heard about you, where would they go to find out more and get in touch with you and use your services? Yeah. So if you go to Marketplace Blueprint, just like that, Marketplace Blueprint forward slash show, in there I have a link to a, a 20 page listing optimization guide that we did. And at the like in there, there's a in the emails, there's a way to book a, or to have us do like a mini audit. So you send me your listing, I'll do like a quick seven minute, you know, little like Jing video that will show you like, okay, this is what I see right off the bat. And if you wanted to do a further in depth audit, we could talk about that. Um, and if you go to uh, marketplace blueprint forward slash Facebook, then I have com forward slash Facebook, then um, I have a Facebook group where you can ask me and my team questions. Uh, if you just want to tweet at me, you can AMZ Robin Johnson, R-O-B-Y-N, like why does she talk so fast? So AMZ Robin Johnson. And I took notes and I'll have those. I'll have those on the show notes. So um, I also have a link for your SEM Rush Academy. Uh, yes. So for anybody starting out, if you want to check out 12 lessons, is that right? 12 lessons? Yes. And so they, they gave me a pretty short limit and I have a secret link to some more advanced ones that um, didn't get put up. So if you, you tweet, you know, DM me on Twitter or uh, reach out to me via email, then I can probably get you that link. Perfect. Guys, you, you heard Robin here. There's a secret link that she can give you if you DM her. Robin, thank you so much. Pleasure having you here. It's really fun time. And uh, you made me laugh a few times. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.